Hello and welcome to Owner Life, the audio channel for business owners dedicated to growing their companies. This is show number GIP for Green Industry Pros 001, and it's part of our eight-part series on professionalizing human resources. I'm your host, William Eastman. I'm the program manager for Owner Life Channel, which can be found both on the Internet and on broadcast radio. And this week, we're going to be featuring our industry spotlight on the landscaping business. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to introduce our two guest experts. Uh, the first one is Greg Watgau, who is editor-in-chief editor of the Green Industry Pros magazine, and Stephen Cohen, president of the Green Mark Group. And what we're going to be discussing today um, is the three issues around trying to create the organization that is attractive to draw people in. Because our, our first title is, How Do I Quit Making the labor crunch worse that's being experienced in the landscaping industry. So what we're going to be talking about is organizations that are perceived to be making a positive impact in the marketplace, number one. Number two is how do I create an organization that's soliciting participation from people so it's more than just trading time for money. And then number three is how do I demand excellence because people do not want to work in organizations filled with people that are not performing. Uh, so. Let me start there, and let me start with a conversation that Stephen and Greg and I had, I guess maybe three weeks ago, um, concerning the subject of what's going to happen if the economy takes off, uh, which it appears it's going to, and what is that going to do to the already difficult labor situation in the landscape industry. So with that, what I'd like to do is introduce Greg Watgau. And Greg, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, William. I'm glad to be here. Glad to talk with you. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you and I were talking about this a couple a couple of weeks ago, which kind of started this series. And you were saying that you actually wrote this article on this topic in 2013. Yeah, 2013. You know, from 2009 and through 2012, you know, we would survey our readers, talk with our readers to ask them what their big issues were in running their landscape businesses. You know, what what types of articles and content they wanted to see from us. And again, you know, from 20, uh, 2009 through 2012, the big issue was just generating business, uh, finding new customers, retaining existing customers, dealing with the pricing pressures, just because the economy and the landscape industry specifically was still pretty depressed through about 2012. And then in 2013 is when we started to see survey data come back where labor issues, finding uh, training and retaining uh, good employees started to creep back towards the top of that list. That was in 2013. So I had written that original column talking about, you know, hey, um, th this is going to uh, be a bigger issue going forward if you don't start getting your houses in order as landscape uh, company owners now. When we get, you know, a few more years down the road, which is today, it's going to be a real big problem for a lot of you. And, and now as we talk to our readers and survey our readers, we're seeing that it is a big, big problem for a lot of them. Wow, and um, and I, what I'd like to do is I'd like to ask that question of uh, of Stephen Cohen. Is and Stephen both owns a landscape company and works as a consulting in the industry. So Stephen, what's been your experience with this over the last few years? Well, Bill, I, I don't believe there's a shortage in the landscape industry. I, I believe the challenge for most landscape business owners is making a connection with the right audience. Um, you know, we're an eighty billion dollar industry, so there's a lot of employees. Um, that are working for companies within that industry. And if they're not working for you, they're working for somebody else. So it's a connectivity problem between the employee, employer and the employees, the way I see it. 
Okay. Well, yeah. In fact, we used to have a joke back when I was working in large corporate consulting is that the good companies are filled with good people, and they don't have a farm out back, or in this case, a nursery where they're growing them. Is that they're getting them out of the same labor market as uh, as the companies I was working with who who were having uh, HR or people issues. And so th there's something that they're doing differently. And I think that the first part of this series, um, when we talk about what do I need to do as as a business owner or as somebody in a leadership position in a small uh, small business specifically to the landscape industry, what do I need to do to make the, the labor crunch worse? Because it's going to get worse. Because as the economy picks up, um, is if you think it's difficult to get quality people now, just wait six months from now when they're going to have a far more options. So what I did is I looked into our database of what, what were the things that people looked for when they were looking for an employer, uh, especially if it was not a situation where they were in hardship and they'd take any job. But what were the things that they would say, hey, that's really an organization that I'd like to work with, and especially as it applies to some of the, the age groups that we currently have. And so what our research said is that what were the characteristics of the brand that attracted people to a company? One of them is that the, the company, the business, the organization um, had a reputation within the community they were in of making a positive impact. Now, that can be a lot of things, and we're going to explore that. But that was number one, is that, gee, I, I would like to work with those people, just like I would like to buy from them if I was a customer. Number two is that the organization itself, the way that it operated, is that they, they were not interested in you just showing up and being a warm body. They were, what they were interested in is soliciting your talent and your ability because what they were looking to do, no matter what the job was, was to turn the job into something that was going to be a profession. Now, it's not landscape industry is not for everybody, just like any industry is not. But there are a lot of people who are not considering this, the, the ability to work outside, do something significant, get your hands in the dirt, there are some people who just do not want to live in a cube. And so the landscape industry is a great place to be. And so how do I get people to, to understand that? And then number three is that nobody wants to work around a, a bunch of turkeys. And I had experience when I worked at Ken Blanchard Companies is that we had come up with this motto of eagles, the people who soar, eat turkeys. And what they don't like is they don't work, like working in organizations where they're surrounded by people who are trading time for money, people who are slackers. And we all know how this happens in most organizations. If it's difficult to hire, then what happens? We hire fast, which means we probably hire wrong. And then number two is that because we're fearful of replacing them, we keep them around, and they're a cancer that brings the organization down. So what we're structured today's show around was on this first one of what do I need to do before we get into the process of how do I onboard people, how do I attract them, how do I write ad copy, um, how do I bring them in and integrate them into my business, is how do I create the image out there where uh, people would want to join with the organization. So let me go to you, Greg. Let's, let's talk about that first topic. How does, a, how does the employer create that image that they have a positive impact in their community? What, what have you seen in the landscape industry? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and on that note, I, w I mean, I would echo what Stephen said earlier. You know, the, the the market leaders in the landscaping services sector, when I talk to those guys and do, do stories on those guys, they don't have the problems finding uh, good employees like some of their competitors do. So definitely these companies that are doing it the right way and have a track record 
um, they're, they're not feeling this labor pinch nearly as, as badly as, as a lot of the other companies out there. And what I see is, is I think first and foremost, they create an image in their market of being a leader. You know, they, it, it's everything from uniformed employees and clean, updated equipment. Um, obviously, uh, compensation and benefits can help. But really, it's, it's creating an image of a market leader with opportunity for the individual employee to grow and prosper and really play a role in something bigger than just uh, you know, installing uh, paver patios and making grass short. I think that's first and foremost, creating a destination uh, for the type of employee who will bring some pride to the job. Hmm. Um, Stephen, what, uh, what has been your experience with this? Because, uh, again, you, I think you're on your third landscape company. And so what have you seen, what have you done to try to attract the right people? Well, I mean, I can with what Greg says. You know, in our consulting practice, I'm continually amazed of how many uh, of our clients, uh, both existing and uh, potential clients, are ill-prepared to, to greet a uh, prospective uh, candidate at the door. Uh, everything from the greeting to the preparation of, you know, how to sit down and hold a conversation with that person and share the story about their business. Um, a lot of these companies are so desperate to, to fill uh, seats on the bus and get people into the field, you know, they just become, you know, essentially labor mills. Um, you know, for, for me personally, in our organization, um, it, it's about sharing the story. And, and sharing the story for us is, you know, where we've been as a company, where we're at as a company, and where we're going as a company, and, and really uh, portraying um, our, our strengths as an organization as much as our weaknesses as an organization, and how people can have uh, and play a, uh, an integral role in, in the shaping of our current business model and our, and our future business model. And we do that in a communicative way, uh, you know, meaning sitting down and talking to them and discussing it with them and sharing our thoughts and also listening to their questions. But we also do it um, with a lot of visual uh, uh, and organizational development tools, such as our vision, our mission, our value statement, um, and and how we grow the you know how we grow people within the organization. These are visual reminders that companies will see immediately uh, upon entering our building. Okay, let me. Uh... Steve, let me come back to you, and then uh, and and then Greg, I'm gonna um, then to you, and that has to do with if we've got some landscape owners listening to uh, this broadcast right now, uh, how do they? How, what advice would you give them about how to look at their business and how to create kind of that compelling picture of this is what we do and this is how we make a positive contribution to the community we're in. I'm sorry, Bill. You cut out for a second. Could you just ask me that question one more time? Oh yeah. What I wanted is, that in fact, if we've got landscape owners listening to this and they're going, "Okay, I like this," what's what are some of the ideas or examples that you can give about how a landscape owner can recast their business and talk about it in terms of the positive and impact it has on the community? Such as what is very big right now is this movement to green, to sustainability, etc. Oh, I mean, if you know that happens with the owner, you know uh, herself or himself, you know, knowing their their business model, um, 
and and how they want to contribute, uh, you know, within the communities they operate uh, and with the uh, clients they deal with. Again, you know, those values, uh, you know, for us in our organization, you know, green initiatives and sustainability practices are, you know, something that we feel is uh, part of the uh, innovative approach that we're taking to our, our business model currently. Um, in our value proposition we offer to our clients. And again, you know, we, we communicate that through conversation. We share it with, uh, you know, our, our current team members and, and potential team members by, you know, giving them a tour of our facility and showing those values and how we instill them, uh, everything from the way we take, uh, you know, our, our uh, incoming materials in, you know, our landscape waste and how we process it to, you know, internal recycling to use of propane mowers and battery-operated equipment. Um, and through our marketing materials of, of how we share that with, with our clients. So a lot of what we're discussing today is all about presentation and, and illustration, essentially. Okay. And, and, and Greg, to you, the, the, the same question. If we've got, and we do have landscape owners listening to uh, the broadcast, and they're, trying to, they're thinking about, well, how do I recast my company so I can present it as something that's a positive force in the community I'm in? What are some recommendations you have, some things that they could look at? Yeah, well, I know just talking uh, to company owners over the years and profiling their companies, I can't count the number of times, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interviewing these business owners and managers and searching for that really kind of jaw-dropping, innovative uh, business decision they made. But a lot of the times when I ask them, what was, what was one thing you did to really change the direction of your company? And, and they talk about, you know, redefining like like Stephen has his his hit on uh, their mission statement and their their uh, strategic vision and their core values and making that a part of what they do every day and then holding employees accountable to the standard um, that is defined for that company. I think that's that's the biggest thing is you got to kind of put some teeth to some of those things. Otherwise, they're just kind of feel good marketing or or business management gimmicks, but. I think that's the biggest thing you can do is commit to the type of organization you're going to be uh, and then live it every day. That's a great point that Greg is saying there. A lot of business owners uh, you know, have these beliefs, but they're really not shared um, and really instilled in their, in their businesses every day. It's more for conversational purposes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and the company, how the company operates, it becomes the billboard for who they are, which kind of gets me to the second uh, question here, or the second theme that we have. And so, Greg, I'm going to go to you first. Is that you, know, you talk to a lot of business owners, and of course, that is the theme of uh, Green Industry Pros is helping the, the the small business owner grow their business, grow into their dream. And so, what have you been hearing, and what advice have you been giving? on how they draw on the talent that they're hiring, that to create the environment that, that these people can grow and learn and perhaps turn this into a profession rather than just a job. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to do because, um, like it or not, there's a lot of bad, not so, or at least not so favorable information out there about the industry. You know, you, you mentioned that article I'd written a few years ago, uh, William, and uh, I think I, I forget where it came from, but it was a it was a description of occupations in the landscaping and lawn care industries, and it it didn't it didn't paint a very exciting picture. It talked about you know 
you know, horrible working conditions, hard work, low wages. It's not easy to fight those stereotypes that are out there. And unfortunately for some companies, they're not stereotypes, they're reality. So really you just you have to get your message out there. I think it helps to engage your community, whether you're participating or conducting job fairs. A lot of, I hear in more and more landscape companies who are proactively reaching out to local schools, high schools, uh, vocational schools, community colleges, even four-year colleges with horticulture and landscape management programs, just to, to get out there and get those feelers out there in as many different ways possible uh, and start telling that positive story and, and outlining what the opportunities are, not only in the landscape industry, but more importantly with, with your company. Talk about the growth you've experienced. Talk about the upward mobility existing employees have have been able to capitalize on. Um, I think, unfortunately, for a lot of these landscape contractors, they don't start doing that until they're in dire need for for new employees. They've kind of hit a growth spurt, <laughs> and now, boy, we—I mean, I've seen that with the five hundred thousand to a million dollar companies. All of a sudden, they realize they need people to take uh, some of the some of the heat off them as owners, whether it be an operations manager or what have you. And they're, they, now they're starting to put these other building blocks in place, which they probably should have started doing a lot earlier. Um, and so I think, you know, once you've got a crew or two, you've got to start thinking about your future and laying the groundwork for everything we've been talking about thus far. Thanks, Greg. I was going to, Stephen, since you're also on the consulting side of this as well as running a, a uh, landscape business, what are those building blocks that we can get the owners to start thinking about the future? Um, that they're going to grow this company. I have some thoughts I'm going to throw in, but I want to throw in at the very end on this conversation. But the fact is that they're going to grow this and there's a future with the company. What's been, what are you doing on the consulting side as well as what are you doing as a business owner? Yeah, we're really putting emphasis on um, coaching and mentoring our clients on organizational structure and the importance of organizational structure. Um, on the human uh, resources or, or people, talent, or management side, um, you know, that, that starts off again, you know, with, you know, what are, what are the needs of the company, you know, with regards to um, its team members or prospective team members, it's recruiting, um, you know, how do you, how do you hire those people? You know, what's that job description uh, look like? What's that onboarding process look like? And, and how do you retain people? Um, I believe we've been somewhat of a throwaway industry, an attitude of, you know, if somebody doesn't work, you, you terminate them or they quit, you put another ad up. And I believe the focus today is more, it needs to be more on, you know, really investing and retaining people for, for long term. And that, that takes uh, time, you know, time commitment and a financial commitment from employers. So we're putting a lot of emphasis with our clients on really helping them identify uh, the key competencies or the core competencies uh, required for their company of their uh, needs first and then you know, and matching that to uh, the candidates very closely. Yeah, because uh, and, and let me pick up on both your comments is that one of the things that struck me about the industry is somebody who has helped companies grow over the last few decades, more decades I care to admit to, and that is that it's, it looks like that the landscape industry is perfectly suited for modular growth. And what I mean by that is, you know, you, I've got a manufacturing facility. The smart move is get a bigger building, put in more lines. That's how you grow it because you want it all under one roof. However, 
because of the nature of the landscape industry, it appears that I open a center here uh, in this town, and then I go down the road 30 miles, and I can open up another center, and then another center, and another center. So my growth is not one by housing it in one place, but replicating my business model uh, location to location, which one is easier to do, it's less capital intensive, and easier to run. Uh, so that was just the thought that I have is that they've got you know a great opportunity to grow companies and a lot of business owners don't see that. So um, I'll start with Steve and then I'll go back to Greg. What what do you think about that? Is that is that a great growth strategy for small businesses? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in our industry, the model is you expand outside your your corporate hub by establishing a satellite location. And typically, a satellite location is nothing more than you know a, a piece of ground or a patch of blacktop that you you know park a truck and a trailer and some guys directly report to because you've acquired a new site you know 10 or 15 or 20 miles away from your corporate facility, and then once you establish that uh, satellite, you put your you know sales or your business development people you know within that market and you start trying to create some new relationships and you grow you know revenue and as you grow revenue that satellite now becomes a branch and you know for for me historically in the past and you know how we guide our clients you know that satellite location you know typically starts when you have about three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in revenue and when you get it to about you know eight nine hundred thousand or a million dollars uh, max on the revenue, then you're going to become a, a, essentially a, a, an autonomous branch, you know, a self-sustaining branch, and you might have a, an office trailer or a small yard. So um, the, the model that we use with our clients and the model that I've used throughout my career is very similar to what uh, franchise models do. You, you have operating systems and, and policies and proce- procedures in place, and you're able to replicate that model you know, anywhere within the market. And and, and and so what that does, uh, before I go over to Greg, is that that gives me the ability to have a lot of upward mobility because it may be that I cannot go any further here in this location. It, I may be blocked by getting promoted. But if we're going to open another center, that raises all new opportunities for me because it may be that I'm going over at a higher level or a totally different role based upon what talents I have brought to the company. Uh, now, Greg, as, as I've talked to you about this, what have you seen in, in terms of your clients? I know that you service the industry. You have a, you have a passion for the under million, under $500,000 uh, uh, revenue uh, landscape firm, but you also serve the whole industry. What have you seen in terms of growth and providing these opportunities where you can create a, a profession uh, in the landscape industry? Yeah, well, and that, that's just it. it. It's like you said, that modular growth model. Um, did many, many stories on guys who, uh, you, know, you know, everybody starts out with a truck and a lawnmower or a, or a truck and a wheelbarrow, as, as, the, as the saying goes. And uh, some, of, some of today's five, ten, twenty million dollar companies with multiple branches, that's where they started. And usually what I've seen happen is that they, you know, they start small. They they start to land some commercial accounts. Their reputation is solid, and then a lot of times, as their company grows, their their commercial accounts will start asking them to service their properties in neighboring, you know, metro areas. That's that's where I've seen, for example, a company down in Austin, Texas, who, over the course of five years, opened branches in, you know, Houston, uh, San Antonio, and then down in uh, McAllen on the border. 
and it was it was existing commercial clients back in Austin who were pulling him into those markets. Now that's where the opportunity starts to come for the employees because obviously as you start opening new branches, you know maybe your your long standing loyal reliable foreman now maybe he can become an operations manager or a fleet manager. You know as, as a company grows you know, administrative requirements and management requirements grow. That cre- that's where the opportunities are really created for that upward mobility. So that's a that's an important point. If if you're a company that's growing and moving into a new market, I think that's a strong part of the story you can tell to that market when you're recruiting new employees there. Yeah, because it appears that 2017 um, this year is not going to be a problem of of getting the sales. It's going to be a problem no. of doing the work. And so it's how do I attract the people that are going to be long-term? Well, giving them a vision, as Stephen talked about, let's talk about this early. Um, By giving them a vision of where I'm taking the company is that, yeah, I may be cutting grass today, but that's not what my future is if I work hard in this organization. That it's it's really unlimited, and in some ways I have more control over it than if I'm a denizen of a cube someplace on a computer screen all day. Mm -hmm. Right. So then that kind of gets us to the third one. And the third one that we had here on why, what makes organizations attractive, specifically landscape companies attractive, and that is that there's a a value set, for lack of a better terminology, that they demand excellence within the organization, that they expect people to perform because they hire to it, they attract it, they hire it, and now they expect people to perform. Uh, Greg, what's some of your insights on the on the really good companies you work with in terms of how they deal with people and how do they deal with performance, both on the good side and on the bad side? Yeah, I think um, again, it's setting a standard. Um, it's it's rewarding uh, for good performance. Um, often, I I see it at the crew level. You know, they have um, they have their uh, goals in terms of productivity and uh, customer service-based goals, and certainly whether it's on a monthly or quarterly or even annual basis, you know, they're rewarding, they're reinforcing that good behavior. Certainly the bad behavior um, has to be dealt with, and, and that, that can be difficult for a landscape contractor because he's not, he's not always trained in the HR area. Certainly the small companies don't have office administrators or, or HR people to do that, but certainly I think what anybody can do with, with no formal HR training is understand that when your guys are doing a good job, you've got to recognize them and reward them, whether it's with a with a monetary bonus. I, I mean, I hear about guys often who do monthly monthly uh, rewards. It's a gift card, tickets to a ball game. Some you know even just recognition in front of the company and giving them you know giving them uh, taking taking the winning crew that month to lunch. You know it's just. I think the main thing is it's rewarding good behavior and it's it's consistent and it's constant. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree because it you know we we talk about this as gee we don't have experience at HR hey we yeah there are legal issues that we need to be concerned with and we'll talk about those in in, in another show, but right now yeah. is just the idea that people need to be recognized for what they do, and my guess is and it's just my experience being a manager for a good many years is if you take care of the good people, the bad, the, the bad actors shrink because a lot of people are right. acting badly to get it recognition. 
because there is no recognition in the system other than if I screw up, yeah, I'll definitely here, but if I do anything good, nothing really happens. And so right. that's part of it. Um, Stephen, what's your insight on this? How, how, how does an organization demand excellence? What are some of the things that it needs to do uh, without getting into the how-tos, which we will in another show, but this idea of you've got to really, you've got to bring it to work here. Well, I mean, employers have an obligation. I think what really drives that, you have to build what I call a teaching, uh, learning culture, which really inspires individuals to, to want to contribute more uh, within the organization and certainly, you know, drives uh, professional growth within the organization. So I believe, you know, develop a very strong teaching learning culture, you know, have, uh, you know, a, a, a firm uh, policy and procedure with regards to how accountability is achieved within the organization, within uh, the roles and responsibility of each team member. And as Greg said, you, you have to have a, uh, a recognition and a reward process in place. And that recognition reward uh, is really, in today's world, is not financially driven. It's as simple as, you know, pulling an a individual or a, a group of individuals out on a Monday morning, you know, uh, talk, you know, Monday morning startup meeting or safety talk and recognizing those good, you know, those team members for a job well done, or it's a quarterly in incentive bonus, you know, based on maybe a set of, you know, six, six uh, metrics or benchmarks, whatever, you know, you establish uh, for people to be uh, rewarded on. So I believe it's a very simple process. It doesn't need to be overcomplicated, but you have to inspire your organization where, where people uh, can, can really be taught and held accountable and you're going to find that people are going to contribute uh, to a greater cause and in a company that doesn't uh, instill those values and those beliefs. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so what we've got here is let, let me summarize uh, where we've been with this, and then I'm going to, um, Greg, I'm going to ask you to talk about what's upcoming uh, this month with Green Industry Pros. And then, Stephen, I'm going to turn to you and say, what, what do you guys got going on, and what can we expect in, in the month of March? And that, so, the beginning of this was when we looked at what attracted people to businesses, uh, and now this was a general, in general terms, what were the things that made it an employer attractive, an employer of choice? Uh, what our research found and our data supported it, and when we looked at landscape, very successful landscape firms, it fit as well. Was, number one is that there was a reputation that this organization had some positive impact in the community uh, that they were in, number one. So they had this reputation about them that they were contributors. Number two was is that it was a, a place to work where you brought more than your hands, that the people wanted to have your brains and the whole person. And what they, what they were doing is trying to solicit from people uh, basically all the talent that they had because it wasn't a matter of having a job. It was a matter of training somebody for a profession. And if the company's got a good growth plan, there's great upward mobility and specific about the landscape industry, that actually is easier than in a lot of other companies because of the cost of capital uh, that you've got to invest. And then number three is that the other part of working inside this firm is you wanted to know is that they don't, they don't allow people who don't work um, to stay there very long, that instead of being quick to hire and slow to fire, so to speak, is that they were very slow to hire because they were looking for the right type of person. And then when you came in, they demanded excellence from you. 
you were compensated and rewarded, whether this was an informal pat on the back or a set of tickets or a dinner arrangement, or there was some sort of compensation plan, but basically it was the law of the good deal. If you work hard in this company, it was a good deal to be here, and that they dealt with the poor performers as well, because sometimes that speaks more than how you're doing the compensation. And so that gets us to what do I need to do so that when I go out there and I begin to advertise and I try to attract people in, what do I, how do I bring in the right type of people? How do I write that copy? How do I have, build on my reputation? And, of course, if I've got this type of firm, I've got the referrals because I've got people working for me who are talking positive about my firm who are going, hey, I know somebody. Because if I've got a star employee and they come up to me, and they say, hey, I know somebody, I'm really inclined to talk to that person. It's just like when you look at your best customers and your best accounts. If your top customer, who is your most profitable customer, says, hey, I got a referral for you, you got to jump that because more than likely it's just like this customer. It's the same thing here. And so that's what we've been talking about over the last 45 minutes. And now what I'd like to do is, uh, is go to Greg and say, What's coming up on Green Industry Pros this month as we move into the month of March? Yeah, we, well, we have uh, the first in, the, in our multi-part series from you guys at Greenmark uh, on the, the quit making the labor crunch worse. We're going to take a lot of what we talked about here and kind of boil it down into written form for those of our listeners today and readers who do still prefer the written word. Uh, that's an increasingly smaller group of people, but a lot of guys still like reading the stuff. Um, we will continue to feature standout landscapers. We actually got a, a young fellow from, from Ontario who has created a brand, Kick Gas Lawn Care. He's all battery-powered. He's found an, a, a neat niche up there in Canada, um, and he's he's growing very rapidly. He's, he's adding a couple crews this year. Um, we're looking at battery-powered equipment. That's a growing segment in the industry. Uh, we're looking at engine uh, and innovations, electronic fuel-injected engines uh, that dramatically reduce emissions and fuel usage are really becoming prevalent in the industry. And that's that's the thrust of what we're doing in our next couple issues. Technology is changing the industry, and, and landscape has got to start changing with it, too. <laughs> if, if, if people are not subscribers to Green Industry Pros, how did they do that, Greg? Yeah, you can go to greenindustrypros.com, and up towards the the top of our homepage, you'll see a uh, green box. You'll see a subscribe button in there. Just click on that. You can, from there, subscribe to our printed magazine and also our email newsletter, which is the Pro Report. Twice a week, we send out email newsletters with industry news, new product announcements, and business tips, many from you guys at Greenmark. Uh, so good, good stuff in your email box twice a week. Thanks, Greg. And, and Stephen, to you, what's uh, what's going on with Greenmark this uh, this month coming up? Well, we're really working on uh, education with our clients and prospective clients. You know, um, it's been an interesting winter. You know, we didn't have the amount of snow in, in many of the uh, states, and, and contractors um, were working on business and process improvement, and they're getting in a zone, you know, uh, right now of, of really looking to kick off the season early and drive revenue growth. And when they do that, they, they lose focus of any process improvement initiatives they put in place in the wintertime or they lose momentum. 
in uh, you know building uh, process improvement during the season. And one of the things that we've done horribly at, as an industry is we we've essentially taught people that you learn in in the winter time. And the real learning is actually uh, happening when the problems uh, are uh, in, in exist or, or, or being created out in the field. So we're working, uh, creating educational material, you know, in partnership with uh, Green Street Pro Magazine and, and, and our blog post on uh, that. That learning is continuous and it's year round, and getting contractors to think differently of uh, how they approach problems uh, in the season, not just seasonally. Um, how do they? Uh, I think that I think the blog post would be probably a great place for for landscape owners to start with. What, where would they find that on the Greenmark site? Yeah, absolutely. For us, they can go to www.greenmarkconsultinggroup.com. So our our website and on I'm sorry, www.greenmarkgroup.com and our website. If they go to the resource page, uh, they will have a pop up and they can enter their uh, information in there and they will be added to our email list, and they will get a biweekly, very, very informative uh, email uh, with all different types of tips and white papers and e-articles that uh, are uh, frequently changed out. So there's some good content on that. Okay. Well, thank you, Greg and uh, Stephen. I greatly appreciate you guys being on the show today. Uh, We will be doing this again. Uh, We'll be featuring Landscape next month. Um, And with that, This is William Eastman, host of uh, Owner Life, and I appreciate everybody being on. Thank you very much. Have a great business day. Hey, if you're a landscape contractor or maybe an equipment dealer who does business with landscape contractors, you need to subscribe to Green Industry Pros. Green Industry Pros is a free resource for owners and managers of landscape companies and equipment dealerships. GIP's website, print magazine, and weekly emailed pro reports keep you up to date on the latest industry news and trends, new product information, business management advice, and small business success stories. I'm Greg Wartko and I've been the editor for nearly 20 years. We recognize and respect how busy you are in running your small business. Sometimes you feel like you're all alone, but you don't have to be. Green Industry Pros can help you find the inspiration and insights to take your business to the next level. You can count on Green Industry Pros to help you cut through the clutter in today's age of information overload. Visit GreenIndustryPros.com to check us out and click on the green subscribe button to start your free subscription today.